Black Tech Green Money isn't just about telling the stories of successful black entrepreneurs. It's also about giving actionable and wealth building strategies that help you protect the future of our communities. That's why we're pleased to be supported by State Farm Insurance. State Farm also believes that we must invest in our communities to achieve economic growth by sponsoring programs like the AXO, which rewards high school students for their academic achievements. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. If you're looking for the most epic place on earth, let's start at the base of a massive waterfall. Then trek through the thick jungle. Then climb to the peak of a snowy mountaintop. Then once you get there, keep going. Because with intelligent 4x4 and 7 drive modes and a Nissan Pathfinder, the search is the real adventure. Available feature. Intelligent 4x4 cannot prevent collisions or provide enhanced traction in all conditions. Always monitor traffic and weather conditions. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. General. And we are your host of Street Politicians, the place, the place where the, the streets, streets and, and politics, politics meet. meet. So it, it, is, it is like always something happening. First oh. of all, the government is gone wild. That's all I have. In, in today's show, we're still sticking with the six episodes, um, the series that we're doing on gun violence. So I'm not going to take up a lot of time talking about all the other things that's happening, but people need to know that our government is in crisis. We've been in crisis for some time. We knew we would be in crisis, uh, but we certainly are in crisis now. Uh, we now have seen that over the last weekend, uh, there has been um, a lift, if you will, on the ban, um, or, or what is it? I guess it's the moratorium is the right word. The moratorium on evictions. And people were out here like, you know, well, folks had PPP, and they had this, and they had money, and they should have paid. Okay, you can say that. But at the same time, we want the violence and the crime out of our communities. You can't have people out homeless who you expect to live a certain way, to live righteously, because folks are going to find a way to eat. Okay, they're going to find survival mechanisms. And so in the midst of a pandemic where we're, they're saying that there is a surge in uh, COVID cases, that people are getting sick, the pandemic is not over. We should not be in any way removing people from their homes at this time. Do I believe in personal responsibility? Hell yeah, we believe in personal responsibility because I paid my bills the whole pandemic, no matter what I had to do. But at the end of the day, there's a lot of people out there that can't make that happen. And what you always say, Mice, is the, they're the exception, but not the rule. Yep. And we understand what we're dealing with, man. The government knows what's happening. You know, if you lock people in the home for, for months, you know, most, a lot of businesses have, didn't return. You know, businesses didn't return. A lot of people still haven't gone back to work. A lot of people are just traumatized and scared to go to work. So we, we have to, you, it takes time to undo a pandemic to undo the, just the, the long-term effects of it, you know, the trauma that people are dealing with. 
So now on top of that, you're going to add rent back, you know, and talking about they need to pay these bills, you know, after you suspended it, like, it's, it's like, this ain't the time to do it. Especially when, like you said, we, we there's a resurgence of COVID-19 with different strains and people just dealing with, people are just starting to get back to normal, you know, so you got to give people some grace, got to give them some opportunities, you know, got to give them a little bit of time to get back into the flow before you start threatening them, telling them they need to get out and be in the street and get an eviction notices. It just don't people said They went on vacations. I'm like, yeah, and so did landlords, right? So did some of the landlords. They took some of the money that they received and didn't do with it what they were supposed to do. Everybody is at fault. But at the end of the day, we all, and I thought they said we were all in this together. The little bit of vacation that somebody got that they ain't been on vacation, their whole life they probably never went to Tulum and this place and that place and Cancun and wherever. They got a little check for $5,000 and spent a little bit on a vacation, the sneakers that their child's been asking them for, a little bit of summertime in the city. And we seem to be criminalizing and demonizing those individuals. Now, the system might criminalize some folks that got them PPPPPP loans. They might be criminalized, but we know that um, evicting people from their homes is a real serious thing. And we don't want to see people homeless. If nothing else, we don't want to see people homeless. But it brings me to my thought of the day. My thought of the day is why are groceries so damn expensive? Like what is... Is it not possible to find some type of way not to have groceries, especially healthy food? Now, some people say, well, it's not that much more to eat healthy. It is. The milk that I drink, 0% milk, right, which I probably shouldn't be drinking it at all. And, and you know, other, others who are extremely healthy tell me that I should be doing a whole bunch of other things instead of drinking milk. But nonetheless, the 0% milk that I drink, the fat-free milk, right? My milk is almost $9 for a half a gallon. $9. So what I'm trying to understand is like, we want people to be healthy. We're saying that America is obese. We're saying that Americans, rather, are obese. We're saying that the health crisis is this and that and pre-existing conditions and all this. And then still, when you go to the grocery store, a little bag of groceries, one bag could be $100 and you hardly have anything in it. How are people surviving? Because I know for me, I have the resources to do it. And I still feel uncomfortable spending the type of money that I'm spending in the grocery store. You experiencing this? Because I'm, I'm, I'm struggling. Now, groceries are very high. Like, for real, every time... Every time I go to the store, I, I can't believe the amount of money I spend for the few things that's in the bag. Like you said, it just really does not make sense. $30 and you be having like four things in the bag and, and those things ain't going to last through, through the night. You know, so it's, it's really crazy. Like when you look at air flights, everybody's trying to make up for what they lost. Everybody's put double. It's like, it's a drought. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like when we was in the street and you was hustling and you were selling weed and when it was a drought, you doubled, you made the weed a double two times what it normally was because people knew they couldn't get it or people knew they really needed it. The same thing they was doing with the Lysol wipes, remember? 
They was charging people all types of money for things like that. So, you know, we, we're in those times where, the, the, you know, the economy has suffered and the people who have things that they know are, you know, commodities and things that people want. And they feel like, you know, a lot of people got those little PPP loans and they're going to they gonna spend it fast. So they're trying to get their money back while they feel like there's a couple of dollars out there. But all of that is drying up right now, man. It's all drying up. It's drying up for sure. But it's kind of like, what do you do if you are somebody who's really struggling, but you're trying to take care of yourself and your family? It scares me to think that a single mother who doesn't qualify for uh, food stamps because they demonize people who get any type of subsidy. So if you work on a job, let's just say you are um, an assistant, maybe at a college or, you know, you're, you know, a pretty decent job where you dress nice every day and you're going into an office and you're making maybe $17, $18 an hour, maybe even $20 an hour. That sounds good, right? That's, that's nice. But if you go to the grocery store and most of your money is being spent on that and also transportation, because now that people are going back to work, it is expensive to get on the train. I think the train fare is like $2.75 or something like that per ride, per day. You have kids that want to have, you know, snacks and different things. Maybe you want to get your hair and your nails done because you need to keep yourself up to be able to go to work. Your children need a haircut. How, I, I, I don't understand how we could even be having a conversation about just now getting to the point where there is a debate that has not in any way been passed on $15 an hour. So it's people that ain't even making that and they, they hustling every day trying to make ends meet. But then you have folks who are making above that who are still living very far below the poverty line. And if you go to the grocery store and you have to spend three and four hundred dollars for your family of four, even your family of three, even the family of two, just to get the things that you need to be able to have lunch every day, have dinner every day, have juice and things in the refrigerator. And don't start with washing clothes and buying like detergent, maybe, you know, the laundry, the cleaners for you. Like this, this is a very expensive life that people are living. And you can see why people are frustrated because we fix it up nice. We fix it up. You, you fix it up with a good crispy white t-shirt on, a nice hat. We always keep our feet fresh. You know, we, I like to wear nice clothes. People look at us and there's, and there's a level of resentment that builds up because you look like you're doing so well while your community and the people that come from where you come from are struggling. And I get why folks are so damn frustrated because it's really expensive to survive, especially if you live in New York. And by the way, I just came back from Cleveland and it's no better there when you go to the store. Right. It is really hard out here. And, and it makes those who are, have a little bit look like you start looking like food. People get mad at you that you become targets. Like, I'm telling you, like, robbery is a big thing right now. You know, it's a big thing. People are robbing people because some people have looked like, you know, they progressed during the pandemic. They kept up. They look like they have more. And there's a lot of people, like, in the Dykeman area, you know, my little brother hangs out. He goes to a lot of these clubs. And he's telling me how, 
But every other night you go into the club and people are getting robbed. Woman, a woman got snatched out of car, literally snatched out of car, and they're taking jewelry. So that's is at an all-time high. So you know, it's it's very dangerous out here for people who who look like they got a little more than luxury. And then it's very hard out here for people who just don't have it. So you know, we just did some these are some difficult times, man. We're in real difficult times, and hopefully this administration and the government tries to get it together. I, I don't really have much faith in none of that, but um, we're going to keep fighting. Them. So in keeping, I mean, even talking about that, it lends itself and leads sort of right into the conversation around the gun violence that's happening in our community. And today I'm really, really happy um, and, and, and really honored, if you will, to have two giants with us. And so my son, let me kick it to you and let's introduce our guest. Before we go to the next segment and have our special guest join, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsors. Seeing our communities grow and thrive is something we care deeply about here at Black Tech Green Money. State Farm Insurance also cares about the growth of black communities. They're actively investing in programs and initiatives that help provide financial literacy, give early career advice and grow black owned businesses, thus leading to generational wealth, which helps protect the future of our communities. We want to build a future that we all can be proud of. State Farm understands that representation alone doesn't equate to authenticity. It also requires active sponsorship of programs like the AXO, a year-long program that recognizes and rewards high school students for their academic and cultural achievements, along with funding programs like Project Ready, a national urban league program committed to educational achievement of black and brown youth that has awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers to date. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and can have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, so there we were, cruising through the new open-air zoo, when I realized that the park was closing in like 15 minutes. Luckily, we were in my Nissan Rogue. With its powerful VC turbo engine, well, we had time to see all the animals. Whoa! <laughs> and outrun a few! Drive the Nissan Rogue. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. That's how we own it! As, as we've been promoting, this is our fifth episode on gun violence and what it's going to take in order for us to combat it. We've been interviewing and you know having conversations with a lot of grassroots organizers. We've had different organizers. We've had people from law enforcement. We've had government officials. And now today we want to have a panel-like discussion. And today joining us are two grassroots organizers who are really doing the work. People always ask, oh, you know, why ain't nobody doing the work about gun violence that happens in our communities? People always want to talk about the gun violence that the police is doing. And, and it's really what's going on in our communities is more important. And we do do that. We talk about that as well. And these are two people who are living testaments to that, who work, proceed them who have been victims, who have been family members who have been victims, who 
been surrounded by and utilized their pain and turned it to purpose. One of them have already been on our show. We have my brother, Mr. Shanduke McFadder, who is the founder and CEO of GMAC, Gangsters Making Astronomical Community Changes, which is an organization that he founded, you know, coming from prison, and he understood the need to transform his life and also utilize his experiences to be one of the people who used to be the ones who started the violence in the community. Now he's the ones who interrupt the violence. So we want to say thank you and, and um, welcome to the show again to our brother Shan Duke. Thank you for having me. I appreciate y'all. Yes, sir. As usual, this is our friend. Like, you know, we always have friends on the show. So let me get this right because I don't want to not say her name properly, but this young lady, I've read her bio and she is amazing as well. Joining us today is Miss Tia Bell from the Trigger Project. She's also a grassroots organizer and, and who focuses on gun violence. She's been impacted, family members, friends, and she utilized her pain and she also turned it to purpose. So thank you Tia Bell for joining us today for this in-depth discussion that we're gonna have on gun violence in our community. Thank you, Tia and Shanduke, for being with us. Um, you know, Shanduke, we asked you to come back today because I think uh, you have a very, very unique position that you sit in. Being an organizer is clearly one part of it, but I also watch being around you often how many men um, work that work with you who are recently returning or you're trying to help them stay out of the street. And right now what we're seeing happen uh, is a resurgence in violence in our community in a way that we can't ignore it. We can't act like it's not happening. We can't turn a blind eye. It's a real serious situation. And it's cool to talk to all the folks who think they know, but there are some people who actually do know. And I think that's why we wanna focus on this, this conversation with the two of you today. Uh, Tia, you and I recently, became acquainted, um, you've now become my sister. I'm, I've learned how much you know, how much you've been doing. Uh, and you know, oftentimes, unfortunately, we as women in this work are overlooked because we know that violence definitely is a larger issue for our men. But we also know that women are starting to become the fastest growing population going into prison and also having violent issues, whether it be domestic issues and or street violence issues. And so um, we can't ignore that. And we, the first show that we did five shows ago, we talked about and had Maggie carry on, Chanduk and others, where we talked about uh, women and how they are impacted by this epidemic that we are in. And so this, we're speaking on the backdrop of a shooting multiple shootings or one incident um, that happened in the last weekend in New York City, where 10 people were shot. And I think, uh, Shandu, you were bringing us up to speed that there were three people who were the alleged intended target, but at least seven people who were hit surrounding this incident. Um, and clearly that's it's serious, you know, and I think for me and, and what I appreciate about you, Tia, and you, Shandu, is that you guys get the intersection between police accountability and what we are fighting for there and what, what we're doing to raise awareness and to really curb the violence in our community. So it's so important that we talk because 
If we don't, the solution from government officials will be to put more police in our communities. And we know that that will not work. So talk to us, Shindu, let's get started with you. Just talk about what's happening, what you know that happened in New York. Um, and then what's what is the organizing uh, idea concepts that are happening among the crisis management system and others who are working in New York to try to address the um, surge in violence. All right, thank you. So when we look at the surge, we have to first be aware of the fact that we are still recovering from a pandemic. A lot of things that happened through that time went unaddressed. And one of those things we know prior to that we had bail reform. And in bail reform, there was an attack on bail reform from uh, prosecution where they just felt to release anybody and everybody, not really assessing the cases, but just releasing people just as a, this is what we're gonna do since you want bail reform. So there were a lot of people who didn't deserve to be in our communities, out in our community, because they didn't receive any type of mental rehabilitation. And we have to be accepting of that. So there were also people who were released from state prisons who received no type of services. Everything was shut down, right? So imagine someone doing a year or more and coming right back into our community and only option that they have is those in the community who are on a violent or criminal mindset, offering them up those criminal activities. So we have to really look at that as part of the problem. And a lot of trauma not being addressed, including the fact that we have a whole bunch of police brutality still happening in our community that we don't see no justice for. Recently in New York City and Corona, Queens, yes, there was alleged 10 people shot, seven bystanders with them allegedly identifying. And I always say allegedly because I'm, I'm in Chicago and I'm getting information based off of what has been reported. So in our work, we like to go into the field and understand and get our facts to, to be sure of who is causing the, 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 the violence. So in this instance, it has been said that it's the Trinidadios. I'm gonna go with Patias, because as you know, state prisons, they're not state prisons and we call them Patias. And there, there's a history allegedly where they also were part of the killing of Junior years ago in the Bronx. So if you look at issues, you have to understand what is causing these issues. So if there's a problem with the Patias and our work, that's who we look to engage, right? And if we're not engaging them in those areas, there's no way we'll be able to mediate the conflicts that they're having. Because according to this last incident, they were allegedly shooting at three people who were shot, who are supposed to be rivals. We have to determine what those, who those rivals are and determine what we can do to mediate any retaliation. In our community as the crisis management system, we also have to look at those seven innocent people and their families and how someone may not be affiliated, may not be living no life of crime, but may feel a certain way now because they had an innocent family member shot, right? So this is what our work looks like, putting a bandage on that, those issues right now, while we continue to work on the bigger issue of why that group feels that they have to respond in broad daylight to a group of individuals with depraved indifference for the other lives around those individuals that they wanna attack. So it's a lot of work that we have to work on preventing not just focus on the issue after it happens. You know, that's why I like, and I understand because we come from the same, you know, pretty much the same background and understanding how intricate the work is, right? Understanding that you have, when you when you come from a gang culture, you know, you are, you are um, a person who uh, accepts and acknowledge that he's a blood and, and you bring your bloodness 
your blood um, title into this work and utilize it to transform, right? Because you identify with the culture of the game culture, you identify with the, the actual rules and laws and you apply the real rules and laws and what it was actually founded for was protection of our communities and our neighborhoods and you transform those minds. So having those, understanding that and being able to connect with the game culture and understanding how these things happen, how, who you need to talk to, how do you intercept and understanding why we're saying that it's not about police being in our community because they don't stop. They, they are unable to have that intel. They're unable to have that respect and those connections within our communities that can actually further, stop further violence. So I just want to commend you on that and say that's why I always say that it's definitely needed. But Tia, I just want you to give us your perspective about the violence that's going on in communities and all over. What, what, what is your perspective coming from your background and the work that you do? What are you seeing? What do you think? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I want to again just say I'm grateful to, to be on this platform and share my unique perspective. Um, I like to believe that God designed my life to join this fight and really ending gun violence. And and Shanduk, you said something so powerful. I don't I don't even think I breathe. I took a breath <laughs> while you were talking. Um, but it just it it's reaffirming, unfortunately, that our deep wounds require deep, deep, deep healing. And until we get the voice of who Shanduk is advocating for and GMAC and who Trigger is advocating for really at the table, we're gonna to continue to see this manifestation of, of despair and using the gun as a solution. Um, the Trigger Project stands for true reasons I grabbed the gun evolved from risk. And as a survivor, I almost lost my mom when I was 10. She was shot twice in broad daylight. It wasn't a shock, you know. Um, I knew who had did it, um, and there wasn't a Shanduk to come to me and say, hey, let me get a full understanding of what you know that happened. Let me get you on the basketball court so you can release your feelings. Let me um, support you, mentor you, so you can figure out what you're going to eat so you don't think you're burdening your mom who's healing. You know, I didn't have that. So just with the combination of losing friends after my, almost losing my mom, losing my stepdad, now losing young people, I realized that the voice of the shooter is missing. So when you say trigger project, you 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 embody the voice of the shooter because we all have a trigger finger, but no one's asking the question, black or white, you know, why if just the best guns was just, or sticks, as my babies like to say, was laying in the middle of the street. Why would some people be able to just walk past them like they nothing? And why would some people see it as a commodity, see it as a resource, see it as a language? You know, we, we're criminalizing our culture and our music versus really getting to the source of, of our pain. And, and that's what the Trigger Project is about. T tell me when you say, you know, that it's a language. That for me, that's powerful because I, I know that's loaded. And I think both of y'all can talk about the language. I mean, you've already been speaking to it, but there is a language, Shandu and, and Tia, that is coming out of this pandemic. And we hear it loud and clear. In fact, I've been saying that the violence that we see taking place in our communities is not really, while I understand that, th that those engaging in it do have to have some responsibility, I think it's a mirror to all of our faces about where we have failed um, mm -hmm. as a society. I think that our young people and whatever they're going through 
is an indication of how well we have done to give them the resources and the things that they need. So when you say it's a language, and, and I want both of you to talk about this, tell me what that means. When, when we look at language for me, right, we have to understand that mentality, that lifestyle, right? And when you have a lifestyle that you don't see as criminal, nothing you do is, is, is looked at as wrong, right? There's no more remorse for your actions because you're living a lifestyle that you believe everything you're doing is right. And language for me when I was in the streets was when I got up in the morning as trite gangster, I put two guns on my waist in Brooklyn, New York, even though there was no right to carry. And I didn't do that with the intent to go out there to shoot or murder anyone. I did that to make sure that no one would be able to shoot and murder me. So when you hear Trigger talk about the, the response and the reasons and why we carry guns, we have to understand that language. So if someone is growing up in Brooklyn or New York City, and we know that they never had the right to carry, but all they seeing is people die at the hands of gunfire, we have to understand that the language tells them that the best way to protect themselves is to carry that gun as well. Absolutely. I ask my young people, um, because young people aren't the problem, they are the resource at the Trigger Project. So my master's is in youth development. Um, gun violence tried to impede my life, but I went to NC State. I was first in my family to finish high school, go to college, and then tore my knee up. So you guys know what that meant to my hoop dream in my hood. Um, but I landed in my master's of youth development. So I learned very quickly that um, America has this language for Black people. We got single parent household, Black on Black crime. You know, they got the language that just keeps us oppressed. And there's also a language that the CDC research that says gun violence is a disease and all these things that sort of make us Black make us prone to gun violence. So when I learned this, I got mad as hell. Um, I'm a cancer, very emotional. I'm also a young lady who was very dark and had a lot of responsibility on me because of trauma. So I refuse to be angry again. Um, and I want to be graceful, but I, I just say all that to say, we only, it, a gun is a tool. A gun is like a cell phone. My young people are not the problem. Again, they are a resource. And when I ask them to use their voice and advocate for what they're going through or what their family's going through, because the, the exposure to violence can lead to violence too just exposure. So that's in movies, that's in real life, that's in police brutality. We all saw the public lynching, like just exposure can lead to this disease too. So um, when we say language, we, we, we definitely, just like any language, it's things you're accustomed to, it's, it's, dial, it's things you say, it's things you know you can do, it's the way you think. Um, and no one in America is really understanding. There's still, public safety in our way through, you know, the, the same day our, um, our city made announcements that certain organizations would get money to prevent gun violence was the same day she put, our leadership put $11 million into overtime for police. Mm -hmm. So um, we, we have to get to, to a common language so that we, we can really disrupt this, this, this thing because it's spreading um, viciously. And, and now it's becoming, the narrative is becoming that it's a young people problem, you know, but like Tamika said, uh, 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 what's the African proverb? The young people, in order to fill the village warmth, the young people will burn it down. 
you know, so I can't, it goes something like that, but that's, that's what we're going through. And that's why I try to put young people in the front so that by 2030, they're, they're exposed to the risk factors and protective factors that lead to being a perpetrator, a shooter, or being a victim. You know, this disease goes both ways in our community and it's interpersonal and we understand that like, it's such a thin line and they just put us in cages. So ideally, I would love if we could go to like a health clinic and really cleanse this disease out of us because um, it's, we, we move it slightly in the right direction and funding is slightly coming in our direction, but it's still not tailored for the people closest to it. Do we think that we can just pour money on the problem and it'll go away? I don't, I don't believe it's, it's pouring money on the problem. I believe it's giving the justice, the funding justice that we need to the, to the issue. Right? And I talk about New York City. Uh, while we've been fighting and everyone's been behind defunding police, we still saw a city council that added 200 million to NYPD's budget. And the number, they added funding to um, prevention organizations, but it nowhere matched a number of $200 million, right? And we are not getting what we are asking for, right? So they're continuing to add a divide, right? Between the, the community and the police by not fully funding the services that's needed for our community. And, and when we talk about that, we talk about on a different level because we don't have enough funding to not just employ people, but to add to the, the shifting of the messaging, right? An example of that is my son, right? When, when I talk about the brother, all the time I get people to understand his shift in his music, right? And his shift in his music was a determination that he made to not continue to push that music to our community. And that's where we talk about part of the problem because we're fighting against a system that's continued to fight against what we're doing. And, and our young people, just like me, the mice and the young people coming up and the, the ones who came up before us who went through the system, who were incarcerated, who, part, who, who were part of the violence, it, it wasn't by happenstance. It happened because they pushed it into our minds at a young age. Example I like to use is music. And I, that's why I bung mice up in the conversation. I believe that music is more potent than drugs. That's something I always say. I used to unfortunately have to sell drugs. That's what I believed back then, I had to sell drugs. And when I sold drugs, I sold drugs to, to people that you would never know were doing hard crack cocaine because they just went home went to work came and got their crack and went upstairs because their tolerance level was totally different but then you have the young person who is coming up in a deprived home i had no father went to foster care grew up in the projects and the music is telling my prefrontal cortex that this is how i'm supposed to live so music is more potent than drugs because it shoots straight to your soul no matter what you're going through, if it's a R&B song, and I started talking about, I heard it all before, a woman is gonna to relate to that if she's going through something, she believes that man is lying. So it's the same difference if our young person today is throwing on the drill music, nobody wanna talk about it, but throwing on the drill music in New York City after popping that perp, there's no remorse in what they're doing because they're not even in the same mind. So working on the narrative, like what happened to the trap niggas that you talking about that's promoting these, these drugs in our kids' minds has to shift. So we need the resources to be able to change the messaging. You can't drive down Manhattan or anywhere in Brooklyn or anywhere in New York City and really see prevention, shift mind shifting, resources 
for our kids and our community to be devoted to, you see everything else. No disrespect, I went to going to an airport and all I saw was nothing but 50 and power being promoted. I was like, he don't need that much promotion. How much money was spent on that versus helping us have somebody go through a, go coming into New York and to live, I mean, JFK or LaGuardia and seeing nothing but violence prevention organizations that are in that community when you come in, know that you have a resource when you come to that community. So we have to look at being able to fund this, the resources in a whole different level. People will say, right? Well, white folks have poor communities also. It's not like we're the only ones that have projects and poverty and this and that. But when they watch TV and listen to their music, they have balance. They're able to listen to a little heavy metal. They're able to listen to a little bit of our hip hop and other music, but they also get to listen to things that speaks to their intelligence and helps to build them up and make them feel like they, they're, you know, help build their character. I even think about when I was a young girl, clearly walking into a room in a Catholic school where all of the, the, the presidents and different important elected officials and leaders were all over the walls and they were all white. They were all white. I think they had, because I lived in, in Harlem and I went to school in Harlem, I think Charlie Rangel was probably the only black man, Congressman Charlie Rangel, who I love very much, but he's also a very fair skinned man. So they're basically look like all white people, and let's not even talk about all men for the most part, <laughs> who were being di displayed before us. It's not until recently that you get Barack Obama, but that's one. So there's a balance that while they're in school, they may be listening to whatever when they're at home. They may have drugs, they may have violence. They may, when they go to school, the school books, the, uh, the, the images, everything is an affirmation versus what we receive, which is a denigration, if you will, of our communities and, 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 uh, and of, our, of, our, of our humanity. That's right. And, and, and you, spoke on, you spoke on it right, Chandu, and I, and I say that all the time. These are conversations that I have with these um, radio execs, you know, and I say, the fact that you 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 salute our work and you tell us that we do this work, but you don't give us the same platforms, right? To promote the work and promote the message that we promote. Artists who are talking about positivity and and still being have relevance and understand what's going on in the street, but giving them a different perspective to move away from that. Y'all don't give us the same platforms and the same notoriety as you give the people that's poisoning us, right? So the poison is incentivized. They have an incentive, right? Because they understand if you rap about killing and robbing, right? If you rob, if you literally rob somebody and shoot somebody and you rap about the song and do a video about it, you a son. If you look about, if you look at the last probably six or seven artists that they signed from Chicago, the streets know that they these are real, the songs that they putting out are about real beef that happened. Like okay. literally. And they saying why are these kids getting killed and all that because. They're talking about the people who they killed on a record or they shot or they robbed or they did this. And the family has to see this on the internet. The internet is, is pretty much exacerbating this violence. They're promoting it. You got, you got um, blogs like DJ Academics and them who literally gaslight violence. They literally go on their, their blog sites and talk about, yo, this he's running around here after he shot this person. Y'all better slide on him. 
he he too comfortable outside. Like this is what you got. These people have never been in the streets. They have no credibility. They have no understanding. But yet and still, they're able to agitate and instigate real violence in our communities. And these record companies are only signing you if that. So what we have to do, and that's why I started. I, I ran out to get this. Is that we have to start really like guerrilla marketing again, Shandu? Like we have the, the remember we used to put posters on the walls and stickers. Like they, it means something. I, every neighborhood. I'm, this is where I'm starting this week. Every neighborhood, we're running through the communities and we're putting these posters in the stores. We're putting them everywhere possible because we got to retrain the mind state. Right. We got to boycott black murder. I can't kill my brother. They got to constantly see it. The same way they look at these commercials and they go on the internet and they constantly see visions of somebody shooting each other and they constantly hear music about chill, kill, kill. I blast you, I rob you. We have to give a counter narrative. We got to be able to, to to try to shift and try to get you know get them back on a different trail, else we're gonna lose because violence is promoted. It's promoted everywhere we go, and they're getting paid to do it. Go ahead, uh, <laughs> it was just so loaded. We want you to kick the truth yeah. to the young black youth. To the young black people, young black people understand that there are moving parts around you, and and their relationships that. Um, their connection and their moving parts around you, i.e. your schools you go to, health clinics, hospitals you attend, churches, the media you watch, policy, politics. There's all these things moving around you that develop who you are. And as Tamika mentioned earlier, not only have we failed you, but we haven't worked intentionally. Like Chandu said, we're throwing money, but it's so deep-rooted. Like, we need them to part seas. You cannot release a young man who's traumatized in jail for, for being convicted of, of doing a crime that in, in the ideology of America, crime is, is, is synonymous with choice. And we don't develop that frontal cortex until when, Chandu? Until we 26? But how many of us are locked up for the idea that we made a choice and our brain isn't, isn't even fully developed? It makes me sick. So uh, the media is a huge part of it. Um, what you're talking about, uh, Misha, is, is, is being a protection. So there are risk factors that lead to it, but there are also protective factors that is the reason why I'm standing today. I had connect, connectedness to adults outside my family. They helped me build my resilience. But I'm six foot four, so people believed in me because they could see the potential, you know? But every young person needs that primary prevention and protection. You wouldn't go tell a young person to have sex without giving them a talk and condoms, you know? So we can't go out here and let them, let the accessibility to guns be the way it is, let the government not take accountability for the infiltration of what they've given to us. If they gave us produce, we would have been throwing a lot of fruit, you know? It would have been a lot of fruitfulness in this community, <laughs> but they didn't. They gave us drugs and guns. So we understand that it is a disease, um, but at the same time, I want to address uh, my Black brothers and sisters who do feel alone and tired and frustrated because you just see us taking each other's life. It's no way we're supposed to be less than 12% in this country, um, but it is by design. And you have to understand that it's very basic needs that were met in your life 
from sleep to rest to food to belonging to safety to shelter you had things that were aligned in your life that allow you to make decisions and reach your best self like telling telling the police what you saw happen you got to be your best self we can't expect our community to be accountable and when it's not a lot of self-actualization taking place so i just think we got to give ourselves grace we got to know that what's happening now isn't a result of our movement because the movement has been steady, but now it's starting to take height, <laughs> reach no limits. So we got to let me, let me ask this question. I think I see a lot more homeless young people, but maybe I'm maybe like not. That. But I, I'm thinking, and I and I was in DC recently, and I you know I go to when I go to DC, I don't just of course we go protest. Yeah. Shandu comes with us and. And, and holds us down every single time that we have civil disobedience um, there in D.C. I don't just go to that area. We always go to it. In fact, um, one of our mentors, uh, Cora Masters Berry, the wife of the late, great uh, Marion Berry, Mayor Marion Berry, owns the, or not owns, but runs, owns, whatever. I, I don't even know what the right terminology is. But she runs the Southeast Learning Tennis Center in Southeast DC. And she actually lives in that part of DC as well. And so when I visit with her, I happen to go past, there's a liquor store and a chicken spot and some other things that's the same in every single hood. And it's, it's, it's really, to me, it's painful. I won't say it's scary because I'm not scared of Black people. I'm, it doesn't matter what community we go to, we find our people and we're not afraid of them at all. And generally, what I've learned, you know, I have people in my family who say, you can't go there and you can't do this and you can't do that. Mm -hmm. Generally, I don't care how tough a dude is. When I say, hello, how you doing? And look him in his eyes, he always, always gives me the respect and says, okay, you know, you you about something. He might try after that to get my phone number and a few yep, other little things that. that go on. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But... But generally, he's like, yo, okay, cool. We, we have a connection. But I'm seeing people who are looking dingy, broken, high, and they're young cats, real young, and young girls who look like they are already prostituting themselves at these young ages. And we know sex trafficking is an issue. So all of this... Can't, you can't ignore these things and say, we just gonna lock everybody up. There's no way that that is the solution for dealing with homelessness, first of all, in this pandemic. And my son and I talk about it all the time, right? The pandemic either made or broke you in terms of you being in the household with your family where everybody in the house was on the schedule of being outside most of the time. And they only had to be in the same house for a few hours. Maybe dad, if he was in the home um, permanently, he might be out working overnight. He might be hustling overnight. Who knows? Mom has to go to work. Somebody might go to school. The pandemic caused everybody to have to come inside of the house and deal with people that they don't even really know. They may not even trust. They may not be safe around from sexual assault to, to drug abuse, to just depression to not having the proper resources. I'm trying to understand why folks don't get this. I, I really am. So 
do you, are y'all seeing this with the young people that you're working with or am I just you know maybe I'm not uh, my finger is not on the post uh, your, your finger is, is directly on the post yes they are they're not paying attention to the fingers that they're supposed to be paying attention to right and what we see is exactly what you're talking about and that's what we're talking about when we are discussing risk reduction in our organization right uh, it's not just about identifying a shooter it's about identifying a shooter and then working to reduce that risk of that person and that person's risk may be different or definitely will be different from a lot of people right and it could be those issues that you're talking about and we have to now work to pull them out of that right and that's what we do every day so once we lock our eyes on you build a relationship build a rapport we're, it's, it's not an overnight success right we had we, we've had a recent this wasn't spoken about recently one of my guys got a call from a participant that we've been working with for a while and he's supposed to be a young affiliated kid and he called because he was in his house and somebody he was arguing with his mother and him and his mother was always going at it but we established a relationship with him and his mother so what one day they come to the house because somebody allegedly called the police on him and it wasn't his mother it was a neighbor so he's thinking his mother called the police on him while he is alleged to have a gun in the house according to the call 67th precinct is outside his house looking out the window ready to rush the building but he's on the phone with one of my outreach workers and the outreach worker gets to the scene and and because we built a relationship a respectful working relationship with nypd he informed them hey i have him on the phone give me a moment i'm going to get him out the house and and we were able to do that without anything happening this wasn't rep highly reported but contact c7 precinct and they'll tell you this happened and the commanding officer respected that we were able to do that right and we after that we had to assure that young brother don't go at your mother right because it wasn't your mother that called even though you were arguing with her so now we still have to work on our relationship. So this is an example of what we're talking about. And this is a kid that is continuing to have issues, but we put him in programs and when we have him in programs, we're able to work with him, right? So we have to look at that because he's also been outside of the home where we had to get him into a shelter at times. So we understand those issues. We need the society to understand that this is how we work on bringing down the conflict that's happening in our community. But when we're talking about our young people, we have to remember, like you said, we left them there's a piece missing there so we have to grab them we have to understand what piece is missing in their life and see what we can do to supplement those missing pieces yes i do a lot of um fundraising and and asking and and presenting and proposing because my young people need beds they need legos for their brothers and sisters so they don't go rob somebody to get the money to do it i'm competing with the streets and so earlier you asked, is money a solution? Um, it absolutely is because first I think doing things <clears throat> that we do should receive uh, compensation. You know, I work as a full-time high school counselor. I'm off in the summer times. I go hard in the summer because I'm paid for my nine to five and, and I got free time, you know, but I'm also the mother of a three-year-old and um, this work is nonstop. You know, young people don't, have boundaries they're not supposed to you know they're asked the in requests are are 
substantial and it may be from fixing a broken nail to doing a college application but my time my opportunity and 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 my counseling uh my supervision uh my team who also pours into these young people that's the solution um and and we need the government uh we need city officials we need philanthropists to really get on the side of thinking outside the box um, because it may look like intervening and stopping the police, but it also may look like just giving a young person a hundred dollars because they just misplaced their zip and they won't do something to get it back. And so I, I need, um, I needed this platform and I needed this opportunity because I do believe uh, public helping our way through this is the solution. And um, I do believe that I am an addition to violence interruption and to just this uh, progressive uh, transformation that all Black cities have made. Returning citizens are running the city. And um, I do believe that I am an addition to violence interruption and to just this uh, progressive uh, transformation that all Black cities have made. Returning citizens are running the city you know, um, and it's a beautiful thing and it shows that transformation is real. Tell us how people can support uh, the Trigger Project, same thing for GMAC, how can people give, um, you know, cash apps, whatever you have, we're also gonna make sure that we put it on the screen. Um, I wanna make sure that folks know that as we are in this conversation right now with Shandu, he has pulled away from a conference that is happening in Chicago. Again, people seem to think, there's no work being done. Nobody's getting together. They don't care about gun violence. What about the violence in our community? Well, there are individuals that are at a conference right now working together on, on strategies. And then we have our sister Tia in um, Tia Bell in, in DC. And guess what? It's not free. It's oh. not free. It costs money to get there. I see you in a nice little clean hotel, Shandu. Yeah. You're yeah. supposed to be in that. Well, We're not. We're let not staying at the that. Motel Six. We're no. not doing that. But no. let me tell you. Let me tell you something about that. Right? I had to. I had to work on other sources of funding to make this happen for fifteen of my team. Right? Yes. And we submitted to the mayor's office to prevent gun violence that we were going to the conference, and they said they didn't deem it necessary. We only sent two people, and they didn't understand the need for me to take my team to the National Gang Crime Research Center National Conference. And we're gangsters making astronomical community changes, dealing with issues of gang violence. You, you, there's always a, something there to try to prevent us from moving forward, but we have to continue to fight for solutions, right? So in that, we had to make it work. And that's what this work is about. But at the same time, not just on that level, if we're talking about working on with individuals in our community, if two, like look at the incident with the 10 people shot. If we had a post on that neighborhood and we knew that conflict was brewing, it takes resources to take those two groups who have no space to, to mediate. I want you to think about the conference. Nobody wants to sit on the corner with 10 people on this side, 10 people on that side, everybody got guns and trying to mediate a conflict. It's not going to work. There's no mediator there. Somebody's obsessed. Somebody, you know, F this. We, we, so we have to create mediation spaces for them wherever at there's conflicts or gangs or whatever clicks in our city. And in that, there's times where we had to take a group of individuals and sit down and pay for dinner or lunch to have that conversation, then go get the other group and have dinner or lunch with them. And they don't want no pizza because they in the streets, they don't want no pizza. 
and then work to bring that group together, right? And that these are different types of resources. And just like the sister said, you know, how, how can I not have to count on the city if I see a person who's upset about 150 zip that somebody got them for, and if I know I could save a life by being able to say, here's a gift card for $200, bro. That's not even that serious, right? We got that. Yo, bro, don't do that again. You see what I'm saying? He he still wanted to do what he wanted to do regardless, but we want you to know that our work is preventing that. You made a bad mistake, and let's work with you to make sure that you don't make mistakes like that because that's going to lead to somebody dying. So we have to look at all these things and understand that the resources are extremely important. And on top of that, because I've been attacked about my salary before, and they don't know the level of work that I do, right? I'm, I'm the CEO and I'm in the training too with my team, right? It doesn't stop. But it's, it's about also understanding that this is what I do 24 seven. There's no stop point for me. And in that work, I have to provide for a family. And I cannot be looking like I'm starving in the street, hurting and telling somebody that the positive life is the way to go. Man, listen, I'm not trying to hurt like, yeah, y'all looking out the bar. I'm not with that, right? That doesn't make sense to the people. So it's about understanding that there's value in the work of, 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 of who we are and what we do, and that it takes resources to keep us working, right? Because I can't, I got a bunch of, I got a kids. So how do I provide for my kids? I chose this work, right? And I chose to build up a, the, the ability to be able to finance myself and anybody else in the community that I can finance to do this work. And that's where we have to grow. If we grow more preventionists, if we're able to fund more preventionists on different levels, it's not just about the, 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 the street work we're doing, but on different levels, the mental health perspective, right? That's not getting the resources that it needs. So when we get people to understand we need so many different levels of resources to deal with these issues, then we'll really start to see the, the changes that we're, we're looking for and we're working towards. I say that all the time. I said those directly impacted pollution, man. And like you said, if these young, most of these young kids are committing acts of violence out of poverty. Poverty is violence. You know, and, and you in these communities, a lot, they, they on the corner hustling and scamming, making a couple of hundred dollars. If we have organizations, and I say all the time, like you say, gangsters making astronomical changes, gangster is stopping violence, right? When you gangster, you can tell somebody, yo, we're not beefing, ain't nobody shooting on this block. We're gonna hold this block down. The lady's gonna feel safe. The kid's gonna feel safe in the park. And when we able to fund that mentality, when we able to give these young kids that the, 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 the ones who have the reputations in the hood, the up and coming ones who would normally have been the shooters and say, look, we, we wanna fund you to make sure that this block is safe. This is your block. <clears throat> you say it's your block, we making sure you don't, we don't need nobody shooting out here. We make sure these kids got, opportunities they got um resources they got after school they got basketball they got traveling team all the things that keep you out of the you know, the streets like if we can, if we can fund our communities to do those things then we can change the narrative then we then we we recreate what cool is right now cool is you shoot you the shooter and you and you man down somebody you caught a stain as they said that's being cool so when we if, when we start saying yo the cool dude right here ain't going to jail. You know what I'm saying? He ain't going to jail and he got more money than you and he cool, he got the same girl you trying to get and he ain't doing nothing negative. Then we could compete. So my, my message is to take the, the positivity out of negativity and put the positivity in positive, right? Exactly what you said. We have to now show him, yeah, you see me, I'm looking good. I might got a pair of this and that. Yeah, I'm doing positive, right? I got people who see me now, like, you're a rapper? It happens all the time. You know, I got a chain on that looks like a rapper or something. 
right? And I say, no, guess what I do? I prevent violence. And they all struck like, you serious? Yes, right? The perception, right? So this is what we have to get in. Going back to what you said, Mike, think about, and this is what we got to get society to think about. Think about going to all these neighborhoods with the resources to say, all right, you, you, and you, and you. I know you got reputation out here. I know they respect you out here. I'm going to make sure that you have a yearly salary to make sure these, these shootings do not happen. So when you walk into the neighborhood, listen, don't mess up my money with no shootings, right? That's the mindset you gotta have, right? You a gangster, right? You saying you a gangster. All right, as a gangster, you should be able to tell, son, don't, don't shoot out here. We're not doing that, right? Don't mess up my money. Look at it how you want to. Especially mom, when women and children are outside. Especially. Because that it, just has gone out the window. Especially. And that, that's the messaging, right? One step at a time, as we get them to understand, one, don't shoot. Two, if you have a problem and you feel that you have to respond, we want to find an outlet for you. But if you feel like that's the, the mindset says we got to protect our women and children. So that is our main messaging, right? If somebody is not of that life, then you should wait for any type of action. I don't care if it's a fight. You don't go up into a, a public restaurant and engage in a fight because you're now going to engage people who have nothing to do with that and an innocent person will get hurt. So the messaging has to change overall, right? The, the people who are pushing this energy, we have to reach out to, including our state prisons. I want us to remember that there are people who are sitting in jail with life, oppressed, with no money, and they're using their reputation, their, their, their status, their, all of that to push those young brothers in the street to keep moving like that, because that's all they got, right? So we got to get on top of them as well. Give us your cash app, your information, how do people donate to GMAT? And Tia, you take us out. Yeah, you can find GMAC at www.gangsta.com. Uh, and the, our donation button is right on our page, our PayPal. You can find us on there. Look up Shandy McFadden to see the work that we're doing in New York City and what I'm going to do for Brooklyn as a whole. Brooklyn. Bless you, Bless you brother. I, again, in a perfect world, we would be able to operate in a way that is an asset to who we're serving, not the grantor, you know? Um, but I'm Tia Bell, founder of the Trigger Project. Jack, <laughs> two true reasons I grabbed the gun, evolved from risk. We're the voice of the youngins and the shooter. And um, our website is www.thetriggerproject.org. We're on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at The Trigger Project DC. And we do have a cash app because we're not that big yet. So it's dollar sign trigger project. And you are donating to and supporting, again, the nourishment, the enrichment, um, just the betterment of, of the young people that I serve. So we, we, go, we link, sister, and work together. Yeah, y'all got to connect, man. We want to thank y'all for being a part of this conversation. Um, continue to do the work you do, man. We do the work so we understand what it takes. We understand how unfunded, underfunded this work is, how unglamorous it is, how it's criticized. You know, I understand definitely what Shandu goes through, being somebody from that life, coming from the streets and, and really wanting to, to do something better. And people don't want to see you do better. They don't want to see you evolve. They don't want to believe that you can evolve because you're able to utilize, you know, soliloquy, I mean, colloquialism and, and, and understand the language and understanding where the uniform of the culture and be effective and really change. 
Christ, I want you to know that when they're attacking you and, there's, and, there's, and they don't believe in you being able to do what you do, one of the main reasons is they don't believe in themselves and they can't do nothing but ridicule someone else. Family, we want to thank y'all so much. Yes. We took a lot of your time today. Uh, this is going to be a really powerful episode that I think a lot of people will gain uh, information. And, and, you know, generally we do 10 minutes, 15 minutes. It's kind of moving along quickly because we do live in a society and in a time where everything in media is fast, fast. But today we want to slow it all the way down and really be able to give folks the opportunity to YouTube the opportunity to express the real nitty gritty of what's happening. Anybody who wants to get this thing right, if you are somebody who's out there and you say, listen, I have power. Um, I'm, I am a corporate leader. Uh, I am a philanthropist. I'm an elected official. I'm whoever. And I have the ability to make a change. These folks know what they're talking about. And these are just two of thousands of people across this nation who do the work every single day. And they know not just the communities, but they know the blocks, they know the buildings, they know the apartments, they know the people, they know the hospital, they know the intricate details, and they need our support. So until Freedom, our organization um, is, you know, working very uh, diligently. Uh, my son is leading the campaign to black, boycott Black murder, um, but also street politicians as a platform. These six episodes, I'm proud of them, my son, because, you know, we really have focused in and honed in on what we know, um, but street politicians will not stop here in terms of getting out there and using our platform to share a message about the work. We have to do it for ourselves. We can't wait for anybody else to tell our stories. Two very, very powerful individuals. That was dope. That was dope. Seeing our communities grow and thrive is something we care deeply about here at Black Tech Green Money. State Farm Insurance also cares about the growth of black communities. They're actively investing in programs and initiatives that help provide financial literacy, give early career advice, and grow black-owned businesses, thus leading to generational wealth, which helps protect the future of our communities. We want to build a future that we all can be proud of. State Farm understands that representation alone doesn't equate to authenticity. It also requires active sponsorship of programs like the AXO, a year-long program that recognizes and rewards high school students for their academic and cultural achievements along with funding programs like Project Ready, a national urban league program committed to educational achievement of black and brown youth that has awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers to date. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and can have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. If you're looking for the most epic place on earth, let's start at the base of a massive waterfall. Then trek through the thick jungle. Then climb to the peak of a snowy mountaintop. Then once you get there, keep going. Because with intelligent 4x4 and 7 drive modes and a Nissan Pathfinder, the search is the real adventure. Available feature. Intelligent 4x4 cannot prevent collisions or provide enhanced traction in all conditions. Always monitor traffic and weather conditions. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment... Oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. 
Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. That's how we own it! They had a little synergy there. You know, they had, had good energy, man. They both respected each other. It's, this work is, you know, it's not glamorized. You know, it's not even understood at times. But when you see people like them who really are passionate about the work, who come from the community, who who understand, like when you listen to them, you know that they understand what's needed to stop violence in the community. They have the right level of passion, skill, and love that is needed, man. That when I'm listening to Tia, I can tell these young boys and girls sit around her and she treats them with love and tenderness and she and she pours into them and she wants those resources to be able to give to them. Listening to Shandu, I know that he really wants to change. I know, you know, he identifies with his own mistakes and, and you know, being led astray and, and, and the, the mind state that it took when he was involved in that street life. And he really wants to be able to give back and, and redirect a lot of our youngsters in our communities right now. So it's really dope to have conversations like that with people like that. Yeah, I feel like, I felt like, there was, as you said, synergy between Tia and Shan Duke that's really important, right? It's like, this is the first time that they met, but they talked about that language and they both speak it. And you would think, well, if you didn't know that they just today um, on our platform had their first conversation, if you didn't know that, you would think they've been working together for years because the model, the model and the, the depth of knowledge is the same, yet different places and spaces mean that you have to be creative in how you approach things. And we can learn from one another. I think that there is something to be said about the, the to me, they, um, they to me, I, I felt like they were in a beautiful dance uh, in conversation. It flowed so well that at times I lost myself in trying to understand and digging deep with what they were saying because there was nothing fake about it. It's extremely authentic and it's coming from a place of real understanding. And you can only get that understanding when you're out there knocking doors, talking to people, saving lives and really working with our people. And guess what? None of us are perfect, right? I'm sure that within their organizations, within their lives, they struggle with all types of things. I think we're all constantly in a battle with ourselves before, you know, how can we do better? How can we be stronger? How can we support more? How can we be supported more? Um, but at the end of the day, I know for sure that these two individuals are doing some real powerful work. And the other thing I was going to say is that <clears throat> there are other folks that I've reached out to and you've reached out to. And not long after we talked to them, there's some drama. Oh, you know, why did y'all come to my town and you didn't call me? Or why did you do this? Or, you know, whatever. Which we try to respect people all the time. And when they say, why did you come downtown? And I, we make sure that we work hard to, to, to mend those relationships when we feel it is necessary and when those individuals have a certain level of respect. But the thing about Tia and, and why I know we're not crazy is because as soon as I reached out to her, she was like, we have to link. All of these connections have to be made. I'm going to introduce you to my people. You introduce me to yours. She never, ever started with the, oh, well, 
you know, y'all came to DC one time and stepped on my toe and hurt my mama's back and did this. It was straight from the beginning. Yo, what y'all trying to do? You know, tell me more about who you are. And we began, we jumped right in. And you could see that energy from her in this conversation, which tells me that it's a lot of other people out here that really don't have our community's best interests at heart. And, and that brings me to what I don't get. You know, I don't get why people see the need to try to hate or tear somebody down that's doing work that they don't do. You know, that, they, they, that they're not even willing to do. Like, if, if you look at most of the people who criticize, you know, brothers like Shanduke or brothers like myself or sisters like you, you know, who literally are on the front line doing this work, they are doing nothing. You know, and I don't understand how people think that they even have the they have the authority, they have any level of credence to have to critique people who are actually doing work. Like this work is a, a day and night job, man. You know, when Shan Duke was breaking it down, how this is his lifetime's work. You know, this is his lifetime's work. I've seen the article in the paper about Sean King and his house and him having a house and people want to criticize. And it's for me like, well, why should a man who, who gets death threats, who puts his life on the line, who we've seen do work to, to get people off death rows, who, who we've seen raise money for people who've been in jail to come home and buy them houses, who we've seen raise money for different um situations and people, we've seen him fight, you know, and get police officers who have done things, identified them, found the, 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 new, the number of them, found people who are who were wronged and, and, and somehow got the address and got them charged. Like when people literally are doing work to that that significant and that real and that threatening to your own life, why should they be starving? Why should we not want to see them have? You know, and it's, and, it's, and why do people, what, what does it get? What does it give you to, to, to tear people down and hate on people that are doing work? Literally, even if you don't agree with everything, like it's people that don't agree with everything. But when I see somebody is doing something, especially something that I'm not willing to do or able to do, you know, or don't know how to do, you know, I could I could critique it or criticize it. Like, oh well, I think this and that. But at the end of the day, I'm not trying to tear you down because I know whatever it is that you're doing, if I'm not able to do it or doing it, and it's actually helping or done something to somebody, attest to the fact that you're really doing the work. I don't have anything negative to say about that. You know, as long as it's about evolution and it's about saving our communities it's going to build and it's about community, then I'm all for it, man. And I think more people should have that mind state. You want to know what I think? What? I don't get it. <laughs> you don't get it? Because it ain't to be Because it. it ain't to be got. That's it. Because if we don't get it, we ain't supposed to get it because it ain't to be got. So once again, we had another dope show. Make sure that you follow Shanduke, McFadder, GMAC, and Tia Bell, the um, Trigger Project, doing real phenomenal work. You hear, you hear it. You see who they are. Dope individuals. And I am your host, my son. This is Tamika Mallory. She's not going to always be wrong, and I'm not going to always be right. But we will guarantee you 100% of the time, we will both always be 
Number one show. That's how we own it. That's how we own it. That's how we own it. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play.